Who's this? Oh, you're an entrepreneur? Oh, you're a real estate investor. Oh, you're trying to learn from those who did it. Well, come into the lab then. Put your white coat on, gloves on, notepad, and let's build y'all. Real estate experiment, what is happening y'all? Today, we have the pleasure of having Adam Stern step into the lab with us. And I'm, I'm super stoked to have him because I was just talking about this offline. He has a very unique background and I'm sure it's gonna bring a lot of value inside the lab. So here we are, Adam, welcome to the lab, my friend. How's it going? Ruben, how you doing? Thanks for having me, uh, bringing value. It's the first time for everything, I guess. So let's try, let's try at it, see what happens, you know? Oh, absolutely, man, for sure. So, Adam, you have an interesting background. I did some research. We always do some research. We don't just invite anybody into the lab. And what I find is very interesting with you is uh, you have a very interesting background, right? And I was looking at it. I'm like, okay, interesting. So this is the same, you know, your key thing that stuck out to me is connecting builders and developers. But then I was like, hey, this seems like a double double-edged sword. I don't know if that's the right way to say it, or kind of like a double because you're also helping investors. And so you can correct me if I'm wrong, but you co-founded Own America, a marketplace for single family uh, rental property portfolios that was acquired. So mm -hmm. it seems like you had an exit strategy. That's very interesting for us entrepreneurs mm -hmm. out there. And then also you uh, are the, 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 the founder and CEO of Strata SFR, single family residence. So I'm interested to hear how that was founded. And again, what's really key there, the hundreds of millions of transactions totaling and the hundreds of millions of dollars of transaction. And it sounds like you may also have a brokerage that kind of facilitates that, but help me understand your business model. Cause I think it's so unique. And we want to hear about how you're literally built a business with single family rental portfolios and who you're really serving. So mind to tell yeah. us a little bit of a background thousand foot level view. Yeah, sure. So thanks for, I appreciate it. Yeah. Uh, so a good way to kind of think about where I started in this space was in the single family rental space. Um, and, and kind of where my niche has been is in the off market section of, of single family rentals. So like really early on, uh, when I, with a partner founded Own America, it was all about uh, capitalizing on the housing meltdown. We knew that the housing meltdown went on and that there was going to be, you know, thousands and thousands, if not millions of new investors coming into the space, trying to figure out how to capitalize on the housing meltdown. And, that's really kind of how I got introduced to this space. So we were basically helping to educate retail investors on how to, uh, not retail investors, but retail uh, uh, realtors, regular realtors, how to work with investors. And that kind of all ducktailed into, all right, we train residential real estate brokers. And then we started to look at the institutional capital that was raised on Wall Street by firms like Blackstone and others that came along, like American Homes for Rent and Colony Capital and then a dozen other names that some are still around, some are not around, but... Uh, kind of we played this middle role where we had uh, uh, training for the masses of real estate agents. And then we ducktailed that into a technology platform that uh, helped these large institutions acquire homes through those real estate agents. And then eventually, you know, we decided, why not just create a, a, a technology platform to help the, 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 the midsize investors, the guys that owned two, three, four, 50, 200 properties in portfolios uh, find an exit to these large institutions. So uh, that's what we did. We start, you know, we created a technology platform to help portfolio owners sell their portfolios to institutions. And you know, the technology only went so far, so it really needed a specialized broker to help bridge that gap. So what I became over the last decade is a very specialized broker focusing in on an asset class that had no marketplace. And the asset class that had no marketplace were SFR portfolios. And I ended up, you know, brokering, you know, well north of $100 million of 
of, of SFR portfolios over the last, you know, call it six, seven years where essentially that's what I did. I went out there and found uh, portfolio owners and I helped to package it and price it. And I made a market for it by becoming this off market guy that connected portfolio owners with um, institutional capital. And, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll stop there, but kind of the ducktail of that became that institutional capital no longer wanting me to just find them portfolios. They wanted to uh, meet a source, what, what got dubbed later on as build for rent, build for rent opportunities, which mm. it was basically the same function, right? It was me as an off-market broker, essentially going and finding, you know, assets that had no marketplace. So that's when I became an expert in finding developers and landowners and figuring out how to structure these build for rent projects to feed them up to these institutional type investors. That's very unique, man. And so yeah. I'm actually going to break your, I can see the evolution of your business, the phase two, you remember the developers. I want to, let's go back and take a step back with phase one. Cause I think this sure. is very interesting. So you name dropped a few big names and I don't know if people know, but when you say Blackstone, I'm thinking like, okay, these are, these are like, we're talking like billion dollar, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know if there are B, is it a B at this yeah, point? I'm thinking dollar right? billion yeah. dollar companies, man. Like, this yeah. ain't a joke, right? So when I hear that, I'm thinking, okay, I'm thinking like, these large like skyscrapers we're talking about commercial but you're talking single family portfolio so i'm curious help me connect the dots here adam is it you know what kind of these big players right what are they looking for are we talking about like 100 units 300 like what are a thousand maybe it's less than we think like can you give some perspective because i think it'll be important for our listeners it it it, it bears it bears explaining kind of like the institutionalization of this asset class, because, you know, historically single family rental homes have been like mainly mom and pop investors. Like, like I, I don't know the number, but before all this money flooded in from wall street, it used to be like 99% of single family rental homes were owned by someone that owned one, a retail investor. So, you know, when the housing meltdown happened in like 2009, 2010, you had all these foreclosures. And what ended up happening was, Big money, you know, I call it Wall Street money, but it really came in from, you know, uh, big time money investors. They came into the space and said, how do we buy, you know, not just one, not just a dozen. How do we build portfolios of thousands and thousands of rental properties? And that's when when your audience starts hearing about names like Blackstone and American Homes Friend and, and, and other institutional type single family rental investors. And they wonder how they can get involved in the trend. You got to realize that. All this happened because people like a lot of people, I'm sure listen to your your listening audience, they figured out how to become operators, how to create a system of finding properties and analyzing properties and renovating properties and putting tenants in properties and managing properties. And this whole uh, very operationally intensive kind of business was born. And into that kind of keyhole came the capital, which is kind of the key, right? So uh, I became really familiar with how to connect, you know, the operators, the people that had the on the ground know-how to the capital sources. And in one way or the other, that's what I've been doing for the last, you know, seven, eight years with, with taking people that understand how to find properties and renovate properties and lease properties and connecting them with, um, with institutional capital sources. And, you know, they are billion dollar companies, but they're also hundred million dollar companies. And they're also $10 million companies. There are plenty of people that raise all kinds of money and the, the kind of the common thread is that any size capital stack that's get raised, they're always going to look for the people with the know-how. And the people with the know-how are always going to have either very super local or uh, uh, regional or sometimes national reach. And, you know, 
that's that's where our my business sprang from knowing how to connect that capital with the operators got it and at the institutional level just for some context what are they what kind of pro, like what kind of portfolios are they are, are they yeah. looking at because i might be you know maybe i might be listening to this and i own like a dozen of them i'm like am i in the game or is it like i gotta own a hundred or even like can you give some context in that sense yeah. of who would actually be uh you know what kind of criteria they'd be interested in yeah so so if you owned um let's say one property in any number of markets around the united states called the top 20 metropolitan statistical areas right these are the top 20 msas are where um most institutional capital ended up buying you know markets like like dallas and houston and jacksonville orlando and charlotte and you know all these top tier markets that have large population bases um if you own one property you can find your way to institutional investors who have created you know acquisition you know uh, uh systems of finding you as an individual owner and buying your property. Um, if you owned five or 10 or 12 or 50, you'd be more noticeable to those, to those institutions because they want to buy efficiently, right? So when you talk about, are you in the game? If you own a single family rental property, you're in the game. You're in the game at some level. If you are a large scale owner of like hundreds of, of single family properties, your entree to that institutional asset class is pretty, it's pretty easy because you're in rarefied territory. You can uh, pick up the phone and let them know that you have a, you know, an X number of uh, property portfolio and they'll go run the phone with you and be really excited to, to speak with you. Um, as you move down in scale to people that have, you know, 20, 30, 40, 30, 20, all the way down to right now, if you own in like the double digits, you're, you're, you're a pretty hot commodity. Um, if you own a small amount of properties, only down to like one, um, you can still sell to those guys. But what's come along in, recently in the last few years are technology platforms that actually are, are, are geared more toward the small single family rental owner. Um, there, there are platforms like Open Door and OfferPad. All these platforms are really geared toward buying individual properties from individual owners, not necessarily just single family rental properties, but also vacant properties. Um, and you'll find a myriad of others where it, as a small owner, you have a number of different exit options, uh, including the largest institutions in the, in the country. That makes very, sense. No, no, that's very interesting. So, so that is very interesting because I think typically when you hear those big names, we're thinking, okay, they're, they're not going to be interested, but I like the fact that you're saying that, Hey, that that's, there is interest there. And yeah, there is. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. so let's talk about that for a second. So what's in it for, what are they looking for? Cause obviously the marketplace is an exchange, right? You have something of value. They have something they're looking at. So uh, we, we talked about this offline, right? There's, you know, we, we have anybody from short-term rentals to, to multifamily syndicators to fix and flippers, obviously your business model, it's kind of like you're looking at economy, economies of scale perhaps. So, but what is it, what are they really looking at? Or if you're from an institutional, because I want to connect the dots here where I'm going, yeah. Adam, is like, what are they really looking for that would be of interest for them? Are they looking for a, you know, revenue that's typical across properties? Are they looking for some uniformity, consistency? Are they looking for what, what makes it attractive for them? So then we can talk about what you built to kind of bridge sure. that gap. Yeah, no, not, not at all. Um, so I kind of look at it in terms of value, you, you know, what value are you offering to any investor that can, can, can be interesting to them. And generally, I think that boils down to really two things. It's, it's cash flow and, and or equity, right? So if you have a well-managed portfolio of rentals and 
you've kept up with renovating them and you kept up with maintenance and there's not a lot of uh, deferred maintenance. Well, you know, in order to sell that to an institution, they're going to be basically looking at the kind of cash flow, the cap rate they're, they're going to get from it. Right. In other words, they can't any value. So the, their, their entire interest in the property is going to derive from them buying it at essentially fair market value or close to fair market value. And then keeping that renter in place so they could see cash flow via cap rate. Um, you know, if, if you're an owner and you haven't spent the money and you haven't managed it well, and some, some owners do this by design, uh, others do it because they just, they're not great operators. But, you know, if, if you've got a property or properties that, you know, you haven't kept up well, well, then the institutions are looking at it in terms of value add. Right. How can they add value to the property to create equity in the property to get a certain cap rate and get a certain cash flow? And, you know, the thing that always strikes me when I talk to SFR portfolio owners is a lot of times they don't want to leave enough meat on the bone for the next investor to really hit their numbers. In other words, you know, they look at what they might be able to get for the property's quote unquote retail by putting it on the retail market. And they look at that number and think, well, geez, I know I own a hundred properties, but you know, I think I could sell them retail and I can get $10 million for them. Uh, just using a round number. And very often they're right, but they don't realize the friction costs that they have to go through spending in order to achieve that retail value. So a lot of times they'll say, all right, I could sell it for $10 million. What they don't know is after vacating all the units and eating 120 days of vacancy, that costs money. In order to get that retail value, they got to spend $7 a square foot and that eats money. They got to pay a broker and then a co-broker and that eats money. And after all said and done, they might only net out $8 million. And then a portfolio buyer comes along and says, hey, I'll pay you 7.5 for this portfolio. And they're thinking, well, it's worth 10. I'm not going to take 7.5. Well, they don't realize what they should be looking at is the fact that it's really only worth eight to them because of all the friction costs. Yep. And then they are, th then the real question becomes, what is all that brain damage and time and energy worth? Is it worth the five hundred grand that I'm giving up in equity in order to achieve a, uh, a portfolio exit? And the reason why I have a, I'm able to make a living here <laughs> and add value to portfolio owners is a lot of them don't understand you know, how to value it. Some of them know how to value it. They don't understand really what their net is and how to figure out that net um, and how to leave that, that meat on the bone for the next investor in a way that they're really minimizing the amount that they're giving up. And that's really the key, I think, to anyone selling uh, uh, rental properties to any size investor, whether it's big or small. Uh, now, I want to ask you this question before I take a step back into what you built, because I think it's interesting. I want to, I do want to connect the dots yeah. at one point. I'm going somewhere here, Adam. Sure. Just, <laughs> yeah. You, you know, is there an, a benefit? And I just because, you know, I was recently even just tapping into these roll up strategies, right? Mm -hmm. at, at scale, right? And I'm curious if you want to give the audience some insight, if I'm listening to this, is there an advantage of, of selling at the portfolio level? to, again, we're all in the business to obviously make money. Uh, is it more advantageous, I should ask, for someone to sell in a portfolio, i.e. roll-up structure kind of sense, or is it more uh, um, you know, beneficial for, for them to, and I think you answered this, but I just want you to bring that home, or is it maybe yep. in some cases better for you to sell an asset by itself? Uh, you want to give some insight on that real quick? Yeah, it's, it's a great question, and I, I deal with this all the time. The answer, there's no right answer to everything. It's a it, real answer is it depends. So you look at, ah, come on, Adam, come on, make, well, keep I'll, it I'll simple. Give, I'll give two, I'll, I'll give two examples of one, yeah. uh, which is, it makes a lot of sense. In another instance, it makes almost no sense. Um, 
take a market like Miami, Florida, for example, like, yeah. you know, in and around the, the, the southern east coast of Florida. Um, home values there so far outpaced rental growth that cap rates got compressed to a point where a property that might have made a good rental unit like seven years ago, because the, 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 the price of that unit might have doubled or more while the price of that rent might have only jumped up by 30% or 40%. Mm. Um, a lot of times you're not going to be able to sell it to an investor because there is no price even close to fair market value where it's going to throw off a cap rate that's going to give you positive cash flow. Right. So if you own an area where uh, uh, home price appreciation is so far outpaced rental growth that really there's no good reason outside of just offering the property at a discount, someone would actually buy it as an investor property, that would make sense selling it as a, as a portfolio. You might look at uh, a one-off sales strategy and thinking about all the friction costs, including vacancy, you know, the headache that brings and the, 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 the brokerage commissions um, and, and the rehab, and the rehab costs, all of that, you know, it's still going to be worth it for you to sell it retail one-off because you're going to end up making some percentage that, you know, is going to be too, too painful to give away as a portfolio sale. Um, there are other markets around the country and, and mostly, you know, we're, we're talking about the top 20 uh, markets where, you know, populations above a million people mm. that rental income growth has kept up, maybe not in lockstep, but kept up close enough to appreciation growth that it still makes sense to sell it as a portfolio. Um, and, you know, usually these, usually that strategy makes sense when you're talking about a specific kind of asset in a specific kind of price range. Like once you get above generally three hundred thousand dollars in uh, uh, in value, uh, that is the point where the interest from investors tend to trail off as uh, as rental properties. So if you're in this kind of sweet spot of right now, like three hundred thousand dollars all the way down to kind of like the, the CS properties in like the fifty thousand dollar range, you know, generally if you look at what someone's willing to pay for the portfolio, a lot of times it'll make a lot of sense to sell it as a portfolio versus one off. Um, but again, you know, it's a function of knowing how to price them, knowing where the buyer's, uh, 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 knowing where the buyer's appetite is and playing that, like walking that really thin line between offering enough value in terms of the discount you're offering and in terms of the cap and in terms of the cap rate yeah. so that you're not giving up too much, but you're giving up just enough to make someone interested. No, I think that's great. I, I don't know if you realize it, but that does, I think it, people we function by having some kind of a model. And I do think that that sweet spot, again, it's not, we're not going to hold Adam to this number that it's exactly that, but I do believe that gives some context because to your point, right? Like if you get towards the, and what I was saying is the 300 K mark, I think that's a good barometer. And I know I see that too. So I'm, I'm licensed here in, 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 uh, in Georgia. And, yeah. and you can kind of see, obviously the cash on cash return, you know, right? it's a very different ball game when you go to, you know, class, you know, class a and all that versus, your, your, maybe your C and, and then 300 K mark versus above your, is it like luxury or is it kind of closer to, right. So I think yep. that that does give us a little bit more context in that sense. You were going to add something out of it. It does. And, and, and this is not like a business principle that's particular to selling real estate, yeah. any kind of business, you got to have, you know, a deal that makes sense for both parties. Um, and I, I just find it funny, you know, a lot of times when I, when I talk to real estate owners, um, when the real estate market is, is so, is so, Use the word frothy when it's so swung in the favor of sellers because inventory is so tight right now. Yeah. Uh, you almost got to get used to the idea that 
sellers have kind of taken this position that I don't need to give any value because there's no assets out there to buy and I could ask an extraordinary price and I'll get it. Um, and I think, and I, I said this almost a year ago, I, I thought it was at the point where the pendulum is going to start swinging the other way. Mm. But, you know, we're propped up by extremely, extremely cheap debt, low interest rates. And I think it's kind of almost artificially being hung in the seller's favor right now. But it's going to swing the other way when the capital is naturally going to, you know, try to seek out, you know, higher returns than they're getting right now. It's just by and large, it's still swinging in the in the seller's favor because most mortgages around the country are still in the seller's market. Gotcha. Gotcha. No, that's good. That's a really good point. We got to keep that in mind, the market trends as well. Um, yeah. So let's get, let's get into it, man. The strata, strata. Let's get into that. Right. Like the, the, like the platform, like what is the unique USP as some of our entrepreneurs are familiar with? What is the unique selling point that you bring to the table uh, so that we really understand? And because I, I'll preference by saying this, it's hard for people to do business with you if they don't understand how you do business. So it's yeah. really important that we understand how you do your business, how we can get inspired and maybe even can connect with you offline. So what is it that you bring to the table to the uh, investor uh, on the, on the selling side and then on the buying side, just so we understand your platform a little bit more. Sure. Sure. So I do two basic things right now. Um, I, I, I broker SFR portfolios in markets around the country with the main focus on the Southeast. Um, I've been doing that for the last, you know, seven years. Um, and, and what I've just started doing uh, like I sold my company to a, a much larger company. I worked with it. I worked for them for a little while. And then I started Strata back in January of 2020. Um, I started it under the premise that I was still going to do SFR portfolios. Probably no one, I, I, I took my own horn, but I don't think anyone knows more about this asset class than I do. Um, but most of my investors, they, they really wanted to get their hands on built for rent projects. And, you know, it, it, it's important to understand. And a lot of markets around the country, it actually makes more sense for a lot of investors to build up a home from the ground up than uh, to, 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 to buy a new home because they'll be able to build a new home for less or equal to what it would cost them to buy an existing home. So knowing that I kind of, um, uh, uh, I became really good at understanding a build for rent project. I'm not quite sure, but are, are you, you think, are you familiar with build for rent or do you think your audience? I, I was going to say, let's get into that. Cause I think the terminology you're using, it's not one that I, that I come across often. So I want you to yeah. give context to when, when you say built for rent, can you, can you just get a little granular as to what that might mean so that the listeners and myself understand kind of where that, that, that term even comes from? Yeah, sure. So uh, a lot of your listeners might be hearing about this new trend called built for rent. And that's basically, you know, when investors build single family homes or townhomes for the purposes of renting them out, right? They're, they're built from the ground up to be rented out. Um, and what I kind of got into the space doing was talking to builders. And I still do this, you know, talking to builders about um, what they're building and the, the idea of selling not one property to an end buyer or, or not a handful of properties to an investor, but selling an entire subdivision to an investor where instead of, you know, uh, the end buyer being an, uh, an owner occupant there, it's going to be one entity that owns all the, all the properties in a particular subdivision as rentals. Um, so I've been doing that since January of last year. And what I do in that space is I talk to builders and I put entire subdivisions on the platter for my institutional investors. So, you know, if any of your uh, listeners are builders or they're landowners or lot developers, the idea of not being able to take a whole swath of properties or lots or land and sell them to an institutional investor. That's kind of part of what I do. Yeah. And uh, very often it's very hard to get builders to sell all their properties in one swoop for the right price to an institutional investor. 
So I swim a little further upstream and I look for lot developers that instead of selling their lots to builders, they might sell their lot to an investor who's going to buy all their lots at one take and then bring in their own builder to build their units so they can rent them out. Um, and then I learned, you know, it, you, you can swim even further upstream. So instead of talking to lot developers that have ready lots, you could talk to landowners that have what's called entitled land or land that is approved to build a certain kind of real estate on it, like townhomes or single family detached. And my investors can come in and buy the land and then take it through the development process and then hire a builder to build the units that they'll eventually uh, lease out. And that's kind of my, that's my specialty. I find the landowner or the lot owner or the builder and I kind of package them up and I bring them to an investor that either buys the finished units or buys the lots or buys the land to create these built for rent projects. I love that. Uh, one of the, I don't know if you've read the book, The Millionaire Fast Lane by MJ DeMarco. No. Uh, are you familiar with that? But one, no. one of the sounding principles, he talks about there's, there's about one, two, three, four, five pillars. There's the control, entry, need, time, and skill in any business model. And I'm getting the sense that the barrier of entry for this is, is, is not, um, not the lowest. And so the next question I'm going to ask, I mean, I can see your thought process, but how did you even get here, Adam? Like, what was it, you know, you talk about brokering, which I think is interesting. Was that your, the background that you had? Were you a broker? How did, how did you come across this opportunity and this gap in the marketplace that you're filling? We'll be right back. Yeah, it's, it's funny. You had mentioned at the beginning of the, of the podcast, this thing about adding value, right? And I've always looked at it in terms of like, what value can I add? Because listen, I'm not, I'm not the smartest guy in the world. I'm certainly not the I don't have the best pedigree in the world. I didn't go to the, an Ivy League school and uh, you know, I couldn't rely on that. I had to rely on figuring out what, and to me, this is brokering in its truest sense, right? You figure out what the capital needs and you figure out what the assets need and you figure out how to bridge the gap between the two. And that is basically what I've done for mostly my entire career, where it's really figuring out, figuring out how to do it is the easy part. Figuring out what people want is the hard part. And that mm -hmm. took me a while. Um, so, you know, for portfolio owners, when I started doing that business, I had to figure out what the, what the pain points were for portfolio owners, you know, pain points, like they want an exit, but they want to do it efficiently and they don't want to, uh, you know, break their tenants hearts by having to kick all the tenants out before they sell. And they don't want to have to deal with 40 renovation jobs, you know, in order to renovate all their properties. And, you know, they don't want to pay all these disposition costs. So there are all these pain points that. I had to figure out, all right, if we took care of all these, any one of these pain points or all four of these pain points, you know, how would that sale look? Well, the sale will look like this. Okay. Is there any infrastructure in place to put that together right now? There are no websites. I found out there was no marketplaces to do that. There's really no specialized brokers to do all that. And there certainly wasn't a congealed, you know, buyer base of people looking for these kind of portfolios. So I felt like there was a lot of value that I could add in that respect. There was, you know, assets out there that were looking for an exit. There were capital sources out there looking for an entry, but it wasn't really easy to put together. Um, yeah. What, what did, what did the, and so, and so funny, cause I wrote this down. I'm, I'm taking notes, man. We're in a lab. I'm learning. You said it's, you know, figuring out what the, the, the marketplace wants is the hard part, which is so funny. Cause I would you think the opposite, like the, the, the figuring out what the marketplace needs. And, and I'm, this is, again, I'm, this is interesting that you said that. Cause I'm, I would always think like the execution is the hard part, but it's funny. You're thinking even back you're like execution is easy. Finding what the marketplace wants is the hard part. I find that fascinating, but yeah. take us a step back of when did you, when did you have the aha moment that that was missing? Were you 
and and maybe the context that will help is how was being how was this kind of business in your world how you saw it being done before what did mm-hmm. that look like before your platform was built where you were able to bridge that gap like what would it uh, a a one who owns a, a lot or or land or, or like what what where did they go to one broker like how how did they figure it out i'm mean, i'm curious yeah, yeah so it, it kind of uh go that question um, really ducktails into how I see the, the business, you know, progressing on my side. Yeah. Like uh, on the SFR portfolio front, it worked very much like the built for end business does right now, where you have capital and then you have people with assets and then people meet each other and they talk on the phone and they email and they text message and they bring together deals that way. And on the portfolio, the SFR portfolio front, I, I thought, wouldn't it be really cool if there was like a website you can go to, to bring your portfolio and analyze it and price it and then share that portfolio with people that wanted to buy it. And that's what we built essentially. And that was an easy, like the execution of it was almost easy when I found out exactly what buyers and sellers wanted. All you have to do is write some code and figure out what fields go where and build the platform. Now, you know, did we do it the best we could, you know, maybe probably not, but we, we got a pretty good, a pretty good result. Um, and I look at the built front business right now in a very similar way where you have just like the portfolio business back then, you got people with money and then you got people with assets, whether they're builders with homes that are mm-hmm. built or lot owners with lots or landowners with land. And you had people emailing each other and texting each other and calling each other and trying to put together deals because there's really no ubiquitous marketplace out there for this kind of asset. Um, I'm awesome. working on and, and, and I, I'd like to uh, think that I'm smart enough to build some kind of technology around what I do and how I do it to be useful to everyone. Because the one thing that always kills me is the fact that I'm I'm just one person. I'm I'm growing. I started the business last year. I I hired an analyst and I have a marketing company. Nice. And I'm going to be bringing on additional uh, brokers to help me scale this thing. But at the end of the day, we're not even like a drop in the bucket of what's needed to bring together deals on a large scale. Mm. And you know, I, I see that as an opportunity for innovation. I see it as an opportunity for Absolutely. technology to come in. Maybe not disrupt, but at least organize uh, the, the, the space into something mm. that's resembling a professionally functioning type of market. You know, I love that you got a brand that we're not we're, we're not trying to disrupt. We're trying to or reorganize. Oof, I mean that's that's powerful stuff, man. No, look, I love it, and let's get to the let's get to it because I think it's funny because I, I have a tech background. And, and real estate as well. So I'm able to really understand how your mind thinks as far as like systematizing, building a platform, digital, like that. I mean, that's where we're at, man. And so I think you're right ahead of the curve. Um, so good kudos to you for that. Um, what I do want to ask though, we're, listen, I told you before we we're offline, we got entrepreneurs, we got, I, what I love is kind of like understand like what we, what you were going through when you built that, would you help us get there? how do you monetize this thing? Like how, how is that structured? Cause we're interested there's people are build, building businesses and they're also interested in real estate. So I think you're a perfect combination where you built a business in the real estate industry. How does this thing monetize? How do you even structure it? Who are you giving this access to? Is it only the agents very similar to like CoStar or is it more of kind of like a Reonomy or something like that? Like how does, how does your platform look and how do you even, how did you uh, start monetizing it and creating an actual business out of it? Right. So my build for rent business and my SFR portfolio isn't, I wouldn't even really call it a platform. It's a brokerage business right now where, you know, I do what mostly everyone else does, which is I find capital sources and I find sellers and I help them structure deals where, you know, I, if I do my job well, I bring together a deal in a month or maybe even a couple of deals in one month. Okay. 
is, is that not accessible to anybody else? It's just you, like your 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 brokerage. Is that how you're doing it? I'm just kidding. right right now. Yes, if, if you have a portfolio, a pro, you know, a portfolio of SFR in any market around the country, uh, I can help you analyze it and help you find a market for it. Or if you have a build for rent project, mainly in the southeast, I can help you analyze it and package it and, and introduce it to the right to the right exit uh, options for you. But that's more or less the platform. It's me and it's a assistant and it's a marketing company. Nice. And I'm building some technology that I'd love to get more into, but I'm not going to here. That's going to be awesome. And it's going to do a lot of the heavy lifting that I'm doing right now on a personal basis. But that, that will be ready to later on next uh, this year or early next year. Uh, and without, I'm always the person that likes to do before I talk about it. So absolutely. We'll I mean, I, I mean unless you want to give a, a experimentation, a sneak peek, we're not going to tell anybody what, but no, we'll let you be the practitioner that you're executing. We'll definitely follow up on that. Cause that's very interesting what you're doing. And, and so, yeah, you have this proprietary system that you've built in house to really serve the marketplace, which is interesting. It'll be interesting. We'll keep our eyes to see if, if, if that expands to, to something else, is that, are you thinking of doing that or are you just keep doing it right now? Yeah. I'm, I'm actually spending a fair bit of for a bit of money doing it right now. Um, and I'll hush. I'll leave it. I'll, I'll, I'll wait till the marketplace. You know, it's funny. I, you know, I actually had a, and I'll give a big shout out to Pratesh from Realty Crunch. He had his exit strategies. The guy we connected from a mastermind that I have, a real estate mastermind. And he was able to recently sell that to a brokerage. So it's really interesting. I find it fascinating uh, building assets for yourself. And then, you know, if there's another exit strategy there or, or, or scaling it or growing it, I, I mean, that stuff uh, I personally love. That's my, like my, I'm, I'm showing you my, my, I guess my interest level of technology and, and business. We probably have a lot to talk about then because yeah. as I develop that, that, that'll be another conversation we have, but I, yeah. you talk about like my, my view of, of, of where technology belongs or really where, a service provider belongs and where you could add value. Um, I look at the build for end space, especially, and I see, you know, an enormous amount of capital trying to find a very efficient way to flow into the space. And there's just not one. I see service providers like lenders and uh, renovation companies and management companies uh, and operations companies trying to find an easy way to find people to, to, to sell their wares. And there's just not an easy place. Um, there's people with assets that are trying to find capital that, you know, there seems to be a lot of capital out there, but there's no easy entry point to the, uh, to the space. And, you know, generally what happens is you got industries like, uh, take any commercial uh, food group. Uh, for example, you have guys like me that see the need and they come in, they build these pretty decent sized businesses where we get to make good money doing it because we're really good at knowing how to play this middle role. And that only lasts so long until some kind of technology comes in and disrupts it all. And guys like me have to figure out how to, you know, how to bring more value than just what we're doing right now. Because, you know, the technology, if, if, it, if technology comes in and plays its role, it should basically do a lot of what or some of what I'm doing right now uh, that, that that's hands on. You know? Yeah. No, I mean, that. hey, that's what an entrepreneur is. It's always about adapting. If it's right. one thing that we've learned from 2020 to all the entrepreneurs out there, it's, and even anybody, right, is you got to be able to adapt uh, to the marketplace or else you, you know, you end up like a Kodak or, uh, you know, you, know, you <laughs> well, end up like Xerox or something, right? right? So that's yeah. what happens, right? So good for you. Um, out of curiosity, because this is one thing that uh, I know that you guys know if you listen to the show. Uh, I always talk about just, you know, focus. And that's one thing I'm learning myself or in our, our agency, we have to say no. Is there a particular, and is, would you say no to a commercial 
uh, investor who has a maybe a commercial unit or, or and when I say commercial I'm talking more than like four units and obviously because you said single family I'm very cu- curious if that's something that you're specifically trying to niche yourself in or honestly it's fair game it's a portfolio it makes money it's there to rent would you also include that in your in as part of your um, kind of uh, filtering of of assets to 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 the uh, to, to an investor does that make sense yeah, it does. I, I, honestly, I say more than I say yes, because I, I have to be very, very careful where I spend my time, especially nowadays. Yep. Uh, so anytime someone brings me a multifamily asset or anything other than a single family portfolio or a bill for rent, I generally just say I don't specialize in it. And I refer it out uh, to the extent they want a referral. I refer it out to, you know, a number of partners that I have. Uh, and even when people bring me, like, I'll, I'll look at 10 bill for rent deals and I'll say no to eight of them because the numbers just don't pan out or there's some kind of situational thing going on where it just doesn't make sense to me at least. Um, so yes, you know, it, it, the litmus test for really any specialist in any sector, whether it's single family rental or portfolios or multifamily or, you know, anything is knowing how and when to say no, because if you chase everything that comes along, you're going to be wasting a lot of time and it's almost impossible to see doing any real business unless you know exactly what you're looking for to a very, very high amount of a high degree of specificity. I love that. I even needed to rehear that as well, because it's just so easy to get pulled into, you know, grass is greener and other opportunity here and there. Yeah. If you're listening, I mean, I mean, again, you asked me this offline, right? Like who, who's your listener base? And the idea is to expose our listeners as what we call here experiments in the lab so that you can take that one experiment in your lab and go deep on it. Right. And like, just, just yeah. stay narrow focus. But I truly believe when I started the show was, look, it's broad. And at first, it's like, I treat it like an hourglass. You got to be broad. You have to have awareness of what exists first, understand what exists, try it, and then double down on the one that you're going to believe. You can't do everything all at once. I mean, and it's interesting because I talk about the hourglass thing and I heard this on a clubhouse in in the other room. It's like, you know, you talk about, you know, the average uh, millionaire and, you know, people like the word millionaire. So the average millionaire has seven different income streams, but you look at it and it, they, they started off with just by crushing one and then they started to diversify because they have the ability. I'm like, okay, now I'm going to invest in this. I'm going to invest in that, but they're not, yeah. you know, you didn't build, you know, like you look like a guy like Elon, like you had to get really good at the one thing and then you started going into other different verticals. Um, so I think that's why, that's why we, we use the hourglass. I don't know if you would agree with that because you're obviously you're in it. Uh, but it's from what I heard, it sounds like you might be in alignment with that. I, I would like guys that actually do the hourglass thing, I, I think they're a lot smarter than I am because I, I can't do more than one thing really well at a time. You know, I do, I do really this one thing, which is all part of real estate brokerage really, really well. And I think I do a number of things. Okay. But you know um, I think the majority of the people like Elon Musk and guys like that, they had this uncanny ability to multi, you know, be awesome in more than, more than a few things. Um, I'd settle for being, you know, just good at one thing. And, you know, I, I suspect a lot of your listeners are like this. Uh, people that are lucky enough in their lives to find one thing that they're not only good at, but they really, really enjoy. And those things very often go hand in hand. I, I believe we, we really enjoy the things we're really good at. Um, I found myself very, very, very lucky that I found my path, um, in this space and I'm, I'm good at it. And I'm able to make a living doing it. Uh, I know plenty of people that haven't found that that thing and you know they struggle which yeah you got to keep looking for it yeah well they say it's a feedback loop right adam it's like 
it's hard to not like things that get you results. So it's like, yep. you know, when you, and, they, and it's interesting for newbies, it's like, you'll start liking when you, people are giving you feedback. Like, hey, hey man, Adam, man, that would, that meant the world to me. You changed my life. Like, you're going to like that. It's going to be pretty hard to be like, Oh man, I don't really like that. I don't feel fulfilled. And so I think sometimes we, we need to understand that, that feedback loop, how that works. Cause there's not too many people who don't like what they do when they start getting results and you get results when you double down. So I got four kids and, you know, a lot of times I talk about my job. I talk about my job and, and liking what I do and, and, and having passion. I talk about the, the three P's, uh, passion, persistence, perseverance, right? Mm. So, you know, find something you love to do, uh, do it, do it always and get better at it. And, you know, overcome the roadblocks that will eventually almost inevitably stand in your way from getting mm. further. And if you can find that thing that you're passionate about, takes care of the other piece. If you find the one thing that you're passionate about, uh, you, you don't mind doing it consistently. You're not going to mind overcoming the obstacles because, yeah you know, it'll be intrinsically fun for you because you have passion. I believe that. I believe that wholeheartedly. Yeah. I love it. Love it. Let's get right into the core rapid fire questions. Cause obviously we talked about, you know, uh, your business, your system, the gap that you're filling in the marketplace. And now I want to talk about the man behind the business because I do believe that your business is a reflection of who you are. So this might kind of give us a little bit of appealing into the world of Adam. So do you have any uh, favorite, favorite books or a favorite book or any favorite books that you kind of like love to tap into maybe periodically, or maybe from the beginning when you were just getting started? Yes. I do too. Um, <clears throat> play bigger is, is is one of my favorite books i, I I'm, on, I'm on my third time like reading it uh nice. and uh there's um there's a book called primitive primitive it talks so the uh, book called primitive and, and a book called play bigger uh play bigger is all about finding um not competing by being better but competing by being different right finding uh, uh, there's a book called Blue Ocean Strategy that talks about this. Yeah, but yeah. Play Bigger talks about, you know, this idea that you can actually create your own category and become the king of that category by being different than your competitors, not just being better. So I believe that is a big part of what I focus on by real estate is a big space. You know, a lot of people do a lot of things better than me. And I can do one thing in this small category of off-market real estate in the SFR and built friend space, you know, that'll be the key to my success. Um I think yeah. you're you're doing just that. I mean, <laughs> literally, like as we're talking about niching and really. Well, I appreciate that. Yeah. The other book, by the way, super interesting, uh, uh, called Primitive. Primitive. Mm-hmm. It talks about this idea that you know, way back when, when we were a part of tri- tribes. I'm sorry. I think it's. I think it's actually called tribe. It's called tribe. Mm. Um, it, it's it's it, when we used to be part of tribes, we used to be a lot happier because we were in service of. You know, not only your own self-interest and, you know, in this wow. society we live in, it's very individualized and yeah. become very, very, uh, um, you know, feel very alone. Right. And this idea that there were times in the evolution that even though it was a lot harder to survive, but because we were part of, uh, of tribes that it made things so much more fulfilling. And I, I think about that because I come to an office every single day by myself mm-hmm. and I work alone and you know, I try my hardest to create this, this tribal atmosphere amongst all the people I work with. Yeah. Um, but it's, it, it's this idea that, you know, uh, it's a natural desire to be part of a tribe. And it's even more exacerbated by the knowing that via social media and because of the way we live today, it can be very, uh, you cut yourself off. And it's very important to understand that's natural desire to be part of a community and, a, and, a, and a part of a tribe. Absolutely. Absolutely. No, that's, that's, 
I couldn't agree more. I mean, that's why I've always been part of masterminds and I would really, um, um, I guess, encourage listeners to do that. And obviously it's funny you say that because we're talking about books right now. I mean, I kind of tap into that as well. Like kind of having, we talk about tribes and mentors and stuff like that, but like uh, being part of a group and community, I think even digitally these days now, it's, it's good to be a part of. Um, and I would recommend that to anybody who's listening and feel free to tap in and, and reach out to me if you're interested in that. Uh, but best tool uh, that you would say helps you excel throughout the day? Is coffee a, a, a good answer? <laughs> you know, I'm so surprised. I get them a lot, which is so I couldn't, do, I couldn't do much of what I do without coffee. Uh, it, used to, it used to be that way. I hear that um, so much. That's so funny. Besides for, besides for caffeine, um, I do something like I, I actually intentionally uh, block off like an hour of my day to have calls with anyone that wants to book a time regardless of whether or not it's in real estate or not, because I believe mm-hmm. talking to people in a relatively diverse kind of type of way, uh, add something to your day. So very often I'll talk to people in other sectors like technology or social mm-hmm. uh, people that are in uh, uh, technology, people that are in social work, uh, uh, people that are in kind of different fields uh, and, and they kind of give me their, their, their take on life and they give me their take on, on business and family and, I share that. And it's not always about real estate. I find that very helpful. Oh, that's awesome. Are you on Clubhouse, by the way? Clubhouse? Yeah. It's an right application. Now? Yeah, it's an, no. it's an application. Oh, no. you're going to love it. Uh, have you heard of it? No. Oh, you'll thank me. I'll shoot your text after. It's a game changer. It's uh, the, I mean, you guys know I've been raving about it. Be like, here, here Ruben goes again with his Clubhouse. I had the exact same reaction uh, when someone told me about Clubhouse, but you can now it's, it's literally like a podcast or a conference on wheels. You can open up a room and start a discussion with strangers or literally people in the space that we know of. I've been on stages or in rooms, you be, you start rooms and you have a conversation. You can set a topic, any topic, and you can tap into different rooms. Really? It's super powerful because people can raise their hand. You got people from all over the world asking questions or coming up on the stage we can bring them up bring them down uh, i swear i swear it's like i'm an ambassador for this app but it's been super powerful and it's early adopters because they haven't rolled it out to everybody uh so i'll shoot you a text uh you'll probably thank me after i, I oh, hope you do yeah. uh you'll appreciate virtual it TED talk. yeah what's that like a virtual ted talk oh absolutely but you can actually you know based on on the on, on the actual content you can actually raise your hand and ask a question that's very engaging uh, so if you're doing an hour a day call, I mean, you'll, you'll crush that. That'll be, that'll, yeah. that'll be great for you. Uh, absolutely. 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 So uh, self-manage or outsource. That's a question we always ask for investors to step in. Uh, I like self-manage. Self-manage. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, cash flow versus equity. Uh, I'll take cash flow any day of the week. Love it. Love it. And uh, we, we talk about low, um, best habit that serves you every day. I know you talked about, uh, the hour blocking, which is kind of like, kind of was the same kind of question, but is there any, I know we all, all use that as the core of the habit, as far as a tool goes, is there any piece of technology or any kind of, uh, could be a notepad or anything that has been helpful for you throughout your journey or even as of late? Yeah. Um, uh, in this technology that I'm building, I use Slack. Slack's an awesome platform. Couldn't do without it. Um, yeah. Don't know how people got along without it. Google Meet uh, or Google Google Meets, you know, it's just yeah. sort of, instead of Zoom, I use that all the time. Um, and 
No, that's solid. I love Slack. Sorry about Slack. Look, this has been Adam. This was real. I loved to be able to step into your world. I know the community is really gonna really enjoy this one. Where can we find out more about what you're doing and 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 what you're offering to the marketplace so we can tap into your world? Yeah, you can find me at uh, strata.sfr.com. At, that's S-T-R-A-T-A-S-F-R.com. All my information is there. Tells you about what I do and how you can get in contact with me. Absolutely. If you're driving, keep your hands on the wheel. You know, we'll have it in the show notes. And just like that, Adam, thank you for stepping into the lab, dropping tons of value. And just like that, we are out. If you're a real estate professional, a real estate agent, a real estate investor, a lender, a multifamily syndicator, a contractor, you name it, and you're looking to grow your online presence, but you have no idea how to get started or simply don't have the time at Invested Talent we help real estate professionals extend their current business to social media. Why is this important? Without this, you wouldn't be listening to this show and your own host, Ruben Kanya, and his team would not have done deals they've done today. As a matter of fact, social media has helped us keep this show together, which now exceeds a billion dollars worth of real estate from our guests collectively. That's right, our reputation, opportunities, partnerships and most importantly real estate transactions were started directly from social media if you're a real estate professional and you lack an existence on a media platform invested talent can help simply go to investedtalent.com forward slash social media and make sure you click the get in touch button to get in touch with our team again that's investedtalent.com forward slash social media and get in touch with our team you focus on being the brand and we'll help you build it. Now, if you know anything about the lab, you know that we like to give practical advice. So if you feel that this podcast was of any value to you, please be sure to leave us a review on iTunes by going directly to the podcast app. From the show's page, scroll all the way down and leave us a review. If you're watching this on YouTube, please subscribe by clicking the subscribe button and leave us a comment. Lastly, and most importantly, share this episode with a friend you feel will benefit this episode the most. Remember, there's a you and I in build. Let's build, y'all.